Well, friends, good morning to all of you. What a fun morning of worship we have had so far. And the sun is finally shining again in Chicago. Woo! We will get through winter, friends. Uh, My name is Tracy Bianchi, and I serve as part of the preaching team here at Christ Church. And I have the joy of walking us together Uh, through the final installment in what has been the series we've been in for all of February here called What to Bring to Worship. A very practical conversation on the attitudes, the postures, the ideas, the expectations we bring to this place when we gather every week. And we've sought to answer some profound yet seemingly very basic questions. Why are we here every week? Why do we come to church? What exactly is it that God does with a room filled with saints and sinners who are singing and praying and praising and trying to find their way through this life together? And what are the postures, the attitudes that either help us engage fully in worship or limit us from truly experiencing what God has for us in this space. And today we find ourselves walking through one of the more famous psalms. The book of Psalms is very simply put, a book of songs. And throughout the centuries, the people of God have come together to pray and sing these songs authored centuries ago by the Israelite community. And so Psalm 100 is one of the more famous of the Psalms. Perhaps something in this you will have heard before. This Psalm opens with a very interesting heading, one that is unique only to this Psalm. And it simply reads, a Psalm for giving grateful praise. This is one of the only Psalms where we read giving grateful praise. And so listen now as I read the word of the Lord for us. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Throughout the history of the church, from the earliest congregations gathered to those of us here today, this particular psalm has been a prompt for churches and worshiping communities to invite them into these moments of glorious celebratory awe and praise. Ralph Vaughn Williams once arranged a version of a hymn called the Old 100th, that became the processional for the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. They bellowed this psalm out in song at Westminster Abbey for the coronation of a queen. 
And whether you are an Anglican or perhaps a Jewish person, a Roman Catholic worshiper, or a Protestant, this would be part of a liturgy that you would recognize. And from gospel artists to English poets, this psalm has been repeated throughout history to bring people to awe and praise of God. So, early worshipers at nine o'clock, are you awake yet? Stand up, we're gonna read this together because this is what we do with this psalm. Follow along with me, let's read it out loud together. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Faithfulness continues through all generations. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. This past Wednesday night, my husband Joel and I had um, Hawks tickets. We went down to the United Center to watch the Black Hawks lose for what was, I think, the sixth time in a row. And I had a moment at that event that made me wonder about our conversation for today. If you are not a hockey fan or perhaps have not been to a hockey game, what you might not realize is that there is actually spectator etiquette at a hockey game, which I know is hard to believe in a sport where you're allowed to pull your gloves off and pummel another player on national TV, but there actually is etiquette if you're a spectator at a hockey game. And so um, what you'll see happening at games is that um, uh, spectators are kept from going in and out of the venue while the puck is in play. You have to wait for an icing call or an offsides, a whistle by the ref, and once the whistle happens, then you can get up out of your seat or if you're waiting to get in, you'll see all these people come in from the vestibules. And you have to wait for the whistle. And so just like these little vestibules we have back here, if you are grabbing a brat or a beer or whatever it is and you're waiting to come back in, you'll see the ushers at the United Center with these little stop signs actually that they hold up. And depending on how long it's been since the puck has stopped moving, you can have maybe 10, 15, maybe 40 or 50 people waiting for a whistle to go back in. And so I found myself in this crowd because typical me, I was late coming in <laughs> to the start of the second period and my husband, an avid hockey fan, is in his seat ready to go when the puck drops and I'm stuck and there's a long, um, there's a long play happening. And so I'm with like 50 people in the vestibule and I'm on my tiptoes trying to see on the jumbotron what's happening. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, please don't score while I'm stuck out here in the vestibule. And sure enough, they scored while we were stuck in the vestibule. And if you've been to the Hawks game, you know how that goes, the and everybody starts doing the you know, that whole thing. And everybody gets to run in at that point. And I ran in and I high-fived my husband like I had been there the whole time. And I was like, I couldn't, I just was so, Bombed to miss the moment, and the, um, 
the joy and anxiety actually that I had about not quite being in there, not able to fully engage the moment was very unsettling to me. I couldn't wait to get in. And I wanna ask you this morning, do you feel that way about coming to church? It's okay if you wanna laugh at that because it's a funny question if we're honest. Like, do you get out of the car and you're like, I can't wait to get in there. I wonder what we're singing today. I wonder who I'm gonna see. I wonder what words we're gonna use to praise the God of the universe. I mean, are we, if the ushers held us back, would we be on our tiptoes? Like, what, what are they doing in there? I can't wait to get in there and be with God's people. When we were um, working on worship hours years ago, we laughed as staff that really, it's not the 5, 9, and 10.45 service, it's the 5.15 the 9.15, and honestly, like the 11.15 service for the late crowd, we don't always seem to be in a huge, um, excited hurry to get in here and experience this, and I don't know about you, but maybe you resonate with some of the thoughts. Maybe some of us, we wait till the music is over before we go in, because that's just a lot of singing. Maybe you get coffee and you kind of sit in the atrium, wait to see if anybody interesting to talk to comes by, and then if that doesn't happen, you're like, okay, may as well go in. <laughs> Maybe some of us feel that weird obligatory moment when the offering plate goes past and our stewardship team does a great job coaching us with what to do with that moment, but some of us are still like, oh, I don't know what to do there. Maybe we troll Facebook or kind of look at Instagram a little bit if the preacher gets boring. We stand, we sing the last song, but some of us, and I've done this before, we wanna get out before the benediction ends because we know the parking lot is kind of a zoo. I know I might be a little dramatic, and if you fall into any of these categories, trust me, this is not about putting guilt on you, but being honest together about the marked difference between some of the things we celebrate with great joy in life and the way we come to worship. As Dan indicated, the opening week of this series, many of us find worship something to be moderately survived at best. Some of us are here with excitement and enthusiasm. Others are still wondering why we came in the first place. Yet scripture says, commands actually, that we shout for joy all the earth. It's not a subtle suggestion. There's no parenthesis there that says, if you feel like it, if you're not too busy, if you have the right words or you're actually a singer, shout for joy. No, scripture simply says, shout for joy, all the earth. Not an option. Scripture is filled with stories of God's people bringing praises to God and excitement and enthusiasm and instruction and teaching from the Lord about what we are to do with ourselves when we gather in God's space. Psalm 118, let us rejoice today and be glad. Paul says this in Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he, he underscores himself, he goes, I will say it again, rejoice, exclamation point. Isaiah, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul, the very fiber of my being, rejoices in my God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. 
Why do we find it so much easier to praise God at an athletic event or a concert than we do perhaps coming to church? Psalm 66 says, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. The Bible even goes so far as to say that if we, God's people, the first ones invited to do this, if we decide to advocate our responsibility of that, that the creation itself will take over for us. God will not go unpraised. Jesus, when he rides into Jerusalem on what we now know as Palm Sunday, and he's on a donkey, and all of the people of Jerusalem are waving palm branches and cheering him on, and they're thrilled that their Messiah majesty has just come to Jerusalem, and Luke 19 records this. When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they shout. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, the religious naysayers of the day, if we remember, they say to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. It's getting weird. What are they doing? And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The earth is filled with praise for its creator. And we have been given a responsibility to bring forth that praise. This is part of the worship of God, is making a joyful noise unto the Lord. If we understand, scripture says, the God who saves us, if we really get this thing called faith and redemption, then we will not show up here, as Teresa of Avila once said, as sour-faced saints. We will instead be filled with joy. Now I have to be honest if any of these thoughts resonate with you. I wonder how you feel about them. I'm tired today. I've not had enough coffee yet. I have a million things on my mind. I have a long to-do list later today, and I can at times find God to be this sort of distant, confusing deity. Many of us, as we said, experience church at times as something we barely click off a to-do list, let alone something to shout for joy over. And beyond that sort of general overwhelmingness of life, some of us are here today with deep wounds and pain. You're telling me that I'm supposed to shout for joy to a God who allows violence, terror, and cancer to run rampant in this world? I'm supposed to shout for joy in a world where injustice and greed seem to be winning for all I can tell? Like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Because I, you, most of us probably know someone struggling with addiction, battling a life-threatening illness, grieving a loved one. Some of us perhaps have children who've left home and never come back. Others among us might be holding 
the hands and hearts of aging parents, once brilliant minds slipping away into dementia, our bills are piled up. Every time we turn on the TV or troll through our phone, we have a political crazy person shouting in our face, vying for our bid, our vote. Life is exhausting, the world we live in is hard and complex, and you want me to show up here and shout for joy. Yes, yes, actually yes, because this is what scripture tells us we are to do. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Why? It's as if God knew we were gonna ask the why question in this psalm. Like toddlers, my kids were little, it was why, mommy, why? Every command I gave them, why? I have teenagers now, it hasn't changed, <laughs> why? Because I said so. That doesn't work if you give them a reason. Works a little bit better. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Why? God answers, the Lord is God, that's why. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then the Psalm reminds us again what we are to do, so then, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give him thanks for all of these things and praise his name. Why? Because the Lord is good and his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. That is why we must learn to give God his proper praise. Now, let us not forget that this psalm was not delivered to a group of people who had an easy life. I think sometimes uh, religious circles can feel sort of out of touch with reality. Like, let's just be happy and yippy and skippy and praise God and forget that there's a whole world that is falling apart around us. And that is not what faith is about. That is not how God wants us to engage the world. So we need to remember that this psalm was not offered to some group of people who lived a fluffy life. This psalm was delivered to the Israelite community, the people of God, who had been held captive, forced into slavery, who under the rule of Pharaoh were forced to kill their own children or be killed themselves. This is a community of people who were mocked and belittled and abused, who traipsed across the desert, hungry, angry, confused, and they often felt leaderless. War after war was waged against them. If you read through the Old Testament and the history of Israel, you will find stories of genocide, corruption, injustice, jealousy that led to murder, stories of prostitution, sexual assault, incest, rape, terror, anger, violence, and greed. It's all in the Bible at all. It's part of the story of the people of God, the same people who were told to praise the Lord. They lived at a time in history with high infant mortality rates and low life expectancies, a time before modern transportation or Uber could get you easily where you needed to go. There were no weather apps to warn of looming crises and catastrophes, a time before a healthcare system or even antibiotics. 
a time when death was a very real and very daily presence in their lives. This is not a history for the faint of heart. It certainly was not a life from which people felt like showing up to their church, their temple, their synagogue, and shouting joyful praise. So if you find yourself wondering today, how exactly does this happen? You are in good company. And it is into this place that the psalmist says, shout for joy. This is the same God who prompted the prophet Habakkuk to say, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will still be joyful in God my Savior. Though life is so very hard and complicated and challenging, though I ache and I groan as I find my way, God is still worth worshiping. So shout for joy. Bring the fanfare and the cheers that his subject might bring a king that we in our culture today might bring our favorite musicians or athletes, whatever game we're going to, give God this same response. Who is to do it? All the earth. All the earth. Everyone everywhere shout for joy. Not simply the trained musicians or the preachers or the choir members or the Presbyterians, or the Lutherans, or the Charismatics, or the very young, because they're the ones that have energy to shout. Not just the contemporary expression, or just the classic expression, but everyone find a way to shout for joy, a, a disciplined, beautiful joy, all the earth. How do we get to a place where that is a natural response for it, just like it is at a hockey game or whatever it is we're doing. How do we get to a place in our lives? Well, verse two gives us a clue. It says, know that the Lord is God. Know something about God. Know that the Lord is God. Again, consider the great fandom we shower upon perhaps our favorite bands or artists or musicians or our favorite athletics team. That usually, that, that devotion comes from a place of knowing. If you have been a follower of a certain band, maybe since you were in high school and you're at the concert and they play that one song that you know every word to and the entire arena starts singing. And maybe it's been years since you've heard the song but you remember every word, even though you can't remember what's on your grocery list for later in the day. And there's a moment that comes from a place of knowing, I know this, this is familiar, I know this. In our house, we've been, um, We've been die-hard Chicago Bears fans for our entire lives, which is a miserable endeavor, if I'm honest. And my parents were Bears fans, and my husband's parents were Bears fans, and we have old, worn-out jerseys hanging in closets with names like Singletary and Peyton on the back. And we've suffered through a revolving door of quarterbacks, and every year we want to relive 1985. And there's a liturgy almost in our house on Sundays around the NFL. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but it is. And when something finally good happens to the Chicago Bears, or they come close to winning the 
game against the Packers or something, there's this sort of praise <laughs> that comes up out of our house. And it's from a place of knowing. We know the players, we know the history, so when something happens, we're like, I know how amazing this is. These experiences come from a deep place of knowing for any of us who've had them. How much more an occasion of praise do we have when it is the God of the universe that we know? To praise God is to know God. And the more we know about God, the more his praises will be on our lips, the more we will look around and take in the grandeur and splendor of his majesty and find ourselves going, wow, I never knew that. I had no idea my Lord could do that. And we will never, ever, ever this side of heaven know everything there is to know about God. But we can continue on a journey of knowing, and the more we know, the more we will be brought to praise at his magnificence. The more we show up here in this space and go through these routines, the more we will know about God. The more we repeat the prayers and the songs and the art and the liturgy that we gather around, the more we do that, the more we know. You have, if you've come for any length of time, heard songs repeated. We repeat songs on purpose so we begin to know them because the lyrics teach us something about God. And over time, you will sing those songs and you will pray those prayers and then one day you will find yourself on your knees or weeping in tears or at the end of your proverbial rope wondering what else can I do, Lord, to get through my life and suddenly you will remember this thing you heard at church, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or maybe you'll just find yourself when you don't have words of your own to pray going, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or maybe then sings our souls, our Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And because you have come and you have gone through this routine, this liturgy, this gathering, you will begin to know more of God. And I hope you will also, of course, read your scriptures and find fancy little devotional books and go to your small groups and your Bible studies and all those things to continue to know the depth of God. But there is something that God does in the gathered community that does not happen in those other spaces. And there is a communal knowing and those who know a little bit more can carry the tune while the rest of us learn to sing to the Lord. And if we don't have a voice that knows how to do it or we just don't feel like it because I'm not a singer or whatever it is we might say, come anyway. Because your mind and your heart will begin to know. And in the learning and the liturgy and the gathered community we have together, you will find yourself learning more and more about how to praise the Lord, all the earth. 
And when we come to this sacred space, we didn't just make this stuff up on Monday to do it on Sunday. We have gathered together with thousands of years of worship history that is laid out before us. And the songs we sing, they echo the laments of the prophets and the prayers of the saints and the mystery of the divine that is revealed before us. So in the act of this doing becomes more knowing. And in the knowing becomes the recognition of God and these moments where you're like, oh, that is true about my God, I believe that, I will sing that. You will find your heart catching in moments. And you will find that you want to be here to praise and to pray and to learn and to give glory to God. I'll end with um, just a, sharing a moment that I had, I think it was about two years ago now, with uh, my daughter, preteen daughter, I think she was 10 at the time, and uh, myself and a bunch of the neighborhood moms um, took on quite a task. We took our preteen daughters to the Taylor Swift concert at Soldier Field. <laughs> wow, was that something. <laughs> And it was like 50,000 screaming um, preteen girls. And it was awesome. And my daughter was a Taylor Swift fan and she had the poster on the wall and she knew the songs and she listened on my phone to the lyrics. And when it came that magical time in the concert where Taylor Swift began to play the most recognized song by that little crew of kids, Shake It Off, she went up for grabs. She grabbed my arm. She started screaming at the top of her lungs. And all of her little girlfriends, they're all jumping. And she's like, Mommy, I know this one. And they were like shaking it off with their little 10-year-old selves. And I looked down at her, just sheer joy on her face. And she, she knew this song. She, she understood the lyrics. And she was just so filled with joy that some of the things in that song were true for her. And I know what I just did was compare worship to God to a Taylor Swift concert. Some of you are like, I am out of here. Before the benediction, because she did that. But you get it, right? I mean, there was some knowing there. She grabbed my arm. Mommy, I know this. And I can tell you the heart behind the friends that plan liturgies here is that you would have a moment of knowing, and maybe it's a perfect stranger next to you, but that one day you would get to a point of glorious praise to God that you would be like, oh, I know that God. That lyric is true. And you're not just gonna go, hmm, that's a good lyric. You're gonna sing it, even if you're a terrible vocalist. And it's gonna be true for you because you know that God. And there's a moment of praise that comes out of you because you have spent the time to know that God. And you are learning, if you haven't spent the time, learning from the voices and the community gathered around you what it means to gather as this congregation in glorious praise. So my prayer is that we can do that, that we can find our way through those shouts of praise so that we might find ourselves with all the earth leading the way of glorious praises to God. Amen? Awesome.
Well, friends, um, when you, um, before we pray, when you came in today and throughout these past weeks, we've had these, um, these little cards uh, that you, you wrote today, um, a burden, something um, on your heart, um, deep in your soul that keeps you from praising the Lord. There's something all of us carry, something um, prevents us from that. So what I would love you to do as we close in prayer is just take that piece of paper and put it in an open palm and just hold it on your lap as I pray over us. Lord Jesus, we give you all praise, all glory, all adoration. We give you our greatest joy, our loudest shouts, God, they are for you. There is much, God, that keeps us from doing that on a regular basis. There is much that keeps some of us from ever having done that, Lord, and you know that, you um, honor that in us, Lord, so now we bring those things to you. And these little pieces of paper held in our sweaty palms, Lord, are something we're asking you to take from us. Take the burdens, take the shame, Take the ache, the wondering, the longing. Lord, if we're honest, we know these things don't always go away in this world much as we wish they could. But we know that you receive them and you see us struggle with them and you long to take them away from us. So Lord, we give them to you now and ask that you would do what only you, God, can do. Just hold us and hold them. Shape us to be people, Lord, who know you intimately so that the only thing we can think to do is offer you our voices of tremendous praise. In the mighty and praiseworthy name of Jesus, the church together said, amen.